Welcome back, everybody. This is Rick Pettigrew to hand off our top news stories from this past week of Archaeologica. Send us feedback on the Archaeology Channel Facebook page or post a message on our social networking site, Archaeostique. Chinese archaeologists working on the Great Wall came across a stash of Ming Dynasty stone grenades. Mexican archaeologists released new details about the great stone snakehead that emerged from the ground during last year's earthquake. Experts now agree that the stone featured in a medieval European painting is a Paleolithic hand axe. And a hydrogeologist summarizes the hydraulic engineering that supported an ancient civilization in the Sahara until the aquifer dried up. Thanks to everyone for supporting our subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, available at heritagetac.org. We now have hundreds of titles you can binge upon on Roku. Please help us spread the word. Again, that link is heritagetac.org. Our tour program, TAC Tours, will continue in 2024 with our fifth tour of incredible sites in Iran. Please join us. The link to our tour program is at archaeologychannel.org slash tours. And now, here's Laura Kennedy with the audio news from Archaeologica. We hope you find this to be a valuable part of your day. Welcome to the audio news from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Kennedy, and these are the headlines in archaeological and historical news for October 22nd through the 28th, 2023. Our first story this week comes from near Beijing, China, where excavations at the Great Wall revealed a cache of 400-year-old stone grenades inscribed with orders warning guards to watch out for enemies. As reported by LiveScience.com, the discovery illustrates the variety of early gunpowder weapons used during the Ming Dynasty, which ruled China from 1368 to 1644. Gunpowder is thought to have been invented in China around AD 900. By the time of the Ming Dynasty, military leaders had developed a varied arsenal of gunpowder weapons, including explosive devices with fanciful names such as flying rats, fire bricks, caltrop fireballs, and 10,000 fireflying sand magic bombs. Gunpowder bombs were made from either stone or iron and hurled by hand, catapult, or trebuchet. According to the official news agency Xinhua, archaeologists discovered the 59 stone grenades in the ruins of a storehouse beside the Beidaling Great Wall, a section of the wall built by the Ming Dynasty about 50 miles northwest of Beijing. No photographs of the new finds have been released, but they are probably similar to the handheld thunder crash bombs made with pottery shells in China at about the same time. The betaling grenades, however, are made of stone, with a hole drilled out at the center to fill with gunpowder. Such grenades were a common weapon for guards along the Great Wall during the Ming Dynasty. According to Shang Heng, a researcher at the Beijing Institute of Archaeology, they were filled with gunpowder, sealed, and thrown down at the enemy. Gunpowder recipes from the time were far weaker than those of today, and the Ming Dynasty grenades were more likely to start a fire than produce an intense blast. It's the first time such a storehouse for weapons has been found along the Great Wall. Archaeologists also announced the discovery of the remains of a stone fort in the same area, as well as fire pits, stoves, shovels, and utensils amid the remains of the wall's defensive towers. 
Next, we go to Mexico, where a powerful earthquake in Mexico City exposed a giant stone snake head still painted in bright colors. The 7.7 magnitude earthquake on September 19, 2022, struck the states of Michoacan and Colima. Its epicenter in Mexico City damaged several dozen buildings and disturbed the subsoil in the historic center of the city. The stone carving was seen peeking out of the ground and was subsequently excavated by archaeologists from the National Institute of Anthropology and History. The sculpture depicts a giant serpent's head, measuring nearly six feet long, with an estimated weight of more than one ton. As reported by Smithsonian Magazine, the sculpture is about 500 years old, dating from the late Aztec Empire. Its condition is good, with most of the surface painted with a rainbow of colorful pigments, including ochre, red, blue, black, and white. These details became public this week in a statement issued by Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History, which quotes their experienced conservator Maria Barajas Roja. To preserve its vivid beauty, conservators have put it in an airtight humidity chamber where researchers will work to preserve the colors. According to Barajas, the pigments represent a famous example of the color palette that the Aztecs used to decorate their cult images and their temples. The pigments are extremely fragile due to the mineral and plant materials from which they were obtained. The goal is for the snake's head to slowly and carefully lose the moisture that it accumulated over the centuries so that it comes out from the internal pores of the rock to its surface. Accelerating the process is inadvisable because it could cause damage such as color loss, cracks, or crystallization of salts in the stone. Snakes played a huge role in the artistic culture of the pre-Columbian Americas. One of the most significant representations of the serpent in Aztec mythology was the god Quetzalcoatl, often depicted as a feathered serpent. More broadly, the figure of the serpent was associated with fertility and rebirth, perhaps because snakes regularly shed their skin and embody the process of regeneration. Now we head to France, where a strange-looking stone shown in a medieval painting has been identified as a prehistoric hand axe. As reported by ArsTechnica.com, the painting was created by artist Jean Fouquet around 1455. The work in question is a small diptych with two panels, one of which depicts two men, Etienne Chevalier, King Charles VII's treasurer, and Saint Stephen holding a large, heavily flaked stone. The stone is usually interpreted as a symbol of the saint's martyrdom by stoning. However, the stones used to kill the early Christian martyr would likely have been far less elaborately shaped than the one depicted. Now, a team of researchers from Dartmouth University and the University of Cambridge has concluded that the rock is a prehistoric tool fragment. The New Studies co-author, Stephen Kangas, an art historian at Dartmouth, had long been fascinated by the jagged stone in the left panel because it looked like a prehistoric tool. When he met a couple of anthropologists at a seminar in 2021, they decided to collaborate to learn more about the object. The stone appears to be an Acheulean stone hand axe, a common tool from Europe's Paleolithic age a million years ago. Despite their antiquity, Acheulean hand axes are a common archaeological find, although before the 17th century, they were not considered human-created objects. According to the authors, numerous recorded oral histories describe such objects as thunderstones, since it was believed they shot from the clouds whenever lightning struck the ground. That popular belief prevailed, although at least two 16th-century scholars questioned it. 
However, it took 21st century scholars to pinpoint the rock as an Acheulean hand axe. To research this conclusion, the researchers compared Fouquet's rendering to a random sample of 30 French hand axes found in the region where Fouquet lived. They concluded that the rock's shape, red to brown coloring, and painted flake scars are remarkably consistent with actual Stone Age hand axes. That conclusion pushes the earliest evidence for a social history of hand axes to the mid-15th century, a good two centuries before the earliest written and illustrated description of the objects. Why Fouquet chose to depict a Stone Age hand axe remains a mystery, but the authors offer three hypotheses. Perhaps such objects were common and familiar to his patron, Chevalier, and the broader population of northern France. Alternatively, such objects may have been rare and exclusive to the upper class, in which case its inclusion would identify Chevalier as an educated man of importance. Or perhaps it has a specific religious or cultural meaning that scholars haven't yet discovered. The study appears in the Cambridge Archaeological Journal. We end the week in Libya, where an ancient kingdom called the Garamantes provided a cautionary tale for modern regions that rely heavily on ancient groundwater for their modern supply. As reported by LiveScience.com, the Garamantes, who flourished during the time of the Roman Republic, were the first society that arose in Africa without a river to depend on because they built a water mining technology that tapped into an underground aquifer. This water mining enabled the Garamantes to thrive in the Sahara until they lowered the aquifer so far they couldn't reach it anymore. Frank Schwartz, a hydrogeologist at The Ohio State University, studies the hydrogeology of ancient civilizations. He described the rise and fall of the Garamantes on October 16th this year at the Geological Society of America's annual conference in Pittsburgh. Historians once thought the Garamantian kingdom was a minor power in the Fezzan region of North Africa, now in southwestern Libya, until it was subdued by the expanding Roman Empire in the first century. However, archaeology has revealed that the kingdom was larger and more powerful than previously thought. The Garamantes descended from Neolithic cattle herders who lived in the region between 7,000 and 5,000 years ago when the Sahara was green and relatively wet. By the time the Garamantian kingdom arose in 400 BC, the Sahara had become extremely dry. However, the Garamantes built several cities that were fed by water transported by gravity in underground tunnels or fagaras from an ancient aquifer in the sandstone rocks of the nearby highlands, a significant feat of ancient engineering. According to Schwartz, the technology originated in Iran, where the tunnels were known as kanats. It was probably transmitted to the Garamantes by traders on desert caravans. But most Iranian kanats drained aquifers that were replenished each year from melting snow, something not seen in the pheasant. Instead, the Garamantian fagaras tapped an ancient subterranean aquifer that had formed in the nearby sandstone highlands tens of millions of years earlier and had been topped up during the Green Sahara phases. Archaeologists have now identified more than 460 miles of fagaras in the Fezzan region, probably dug by people enslaved by the Garamantes. Some of the longest fagaras stretch more than four miles through sand, gravel, and solid sandstone and vertical access shafts descend into the underground's tunnels roughly every 16 to 33 feet. One of the oldest fagaras has been dated from organic matter in its mud brick shaft lining to the period between 391 and 206 BC. 
Signs of water stress eventually appeared, such as the purposeful deepening and extending of the fagaras. Such measures could not compensate for the aquifer's overuse. Ultimately, the fagaras failed after several centuries. After about AD 100, when the aquifer eventually fell below the levels that could feed into the fagaras, the Garamanchan kingdom declined. The aquifer is still being exploited by Libya's great man-made river project, which began in the 1980s and now supplies water to farmland and millions of people in the north of the country. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. Also, check out our growing subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, at heritagetac.org. I'm Laura Kennedy, and I'll see you next week. This has been the audio news from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the audio news by clicking on the Share This link on our audio news webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by. Thank you.